This is the Rebellious Wellness Over 50 podcast for women over 50 who aren't done yet. You may have seen the worst of aging and are hoping there's a better way. There is, and I'm going to show you how. In interviews, book reviews, rants, and stories, each week, I'm going to bring you the latest science-based info on how to age better. I'm Gregory Ann Cox, and I believe it's time to bust the myth that aging equals decline in every area of life. It pisses me off, and it's BS. Look, aging happens, but it doesn't have to ruin your life. You just need to get a little rebellious in your approach. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Rebellious Wellness Over 50, where every day we get to decide how we want to age. What is that going to look like? How do we want to feel in these days, in these decades to come? And that's what this podcast is all about, is bringing you new ideas, possibly things you hadn't thought of, things you've been curious about, but didn't want to try without learning a little bit more. We've got all kinds of great experts to share the wealth with you. Not least is my guest today, Nadine Kelly, who is going to speak to us about yoga for everybody, not just skinny bodies or fit bodies. Let me tell you a little bit about Dr. Nadine Kelly. She is a retired physician. She's now a yoga instructor. She is certified by the American Council of Exercise as health coach, senior exercise specialist, and she's the founder of Yogi MD and the host of the Yogi MD podcast. And her mission, what she believes is empowering and educating women to thrive at every age. So how perfect could it be that she is with us today? Nadine, welcome. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So nice to have you here. And I, I know that people heard the word doctor and now yoga, so I'm going to let you tell your story. How did these two things come together? It was a happy accident, and I'm very <laughs> happy it happened. <laughs> I was practicing pathology for many years, and I was also for myself practicing yoga. And I got into practicing yoga because my mother is a breast cancer survivor. And when she was healing, she needed a modality that was gentle, physically and mentally and emotionally nourishing as well. Mm. She was not the type of person who wanted to go seek out talk therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy. So this was just a great compromise for her to be able to feel better. Mm. And so I found a local class for her. We started going together. It was very gentle. It did the trick. But I grew bored. Mm. She stayed in that class and I grew bored. So I pursued at that time what I thought was more of what I wanted and needed. Oh, little did I know at the time, but I learned. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted something more physical. So I started taking a class that was a little bit more demanding. And, you know, I did that when I could. And then I drifted back to the gentle, thoughtful approach. Mm. And that happened because when I stopped practicing, I had no idea what I was going to do. I was sort of at a crossroads and it was very bleak. And so, I walked into our local yoga studio one evening because I wanted to have just time to think and I wanted to get really quiet. And I knew practicing yoga was really good for me physically, but I also liked the way it gave me mental clarity and it was a space where I could be quiet. And so I thought it would be a, just a great way to figure things out. 
halfway through the training course, which I signed up for, (laughs) I had a class with a lovely, mature woman who taught in such a different way. It was, it was so gentle yet challenging that a light bulb went off. And I said, okay, this is what I'm meant to do. I'm meant to serve my community. I'm meant to serve a particular population and to help that population know that everybody can do yoga. Yoga is not just a physical acrobatic practice, far from it. So that's how I got into teaching yoga. And that's how Yogi MD was born. I have to go back to the idea in case people missed it. You spent years and years and years training to be a doctor. Mm -hmm. You did the doctor thing in pathology, which is the study of things that go wrong. Yes. So essentially we're the final diagnosis. That's one of the nicknames for a pathologist, the final diagnostician. Like a radiologist, except using a microscope to diagnose It can be benign, most of the time it is, but also to be able to find what the actual diagnosis is to guide therapy for the internal medicine practitioner or the surgeon or the oncologist so they know exactly what they're dealing with so that they can treat the patient correctly. And when you said it was bleak because you didn't know what you were going to do, but at some point you knew that this really was not after all those years and that successful career doing that. You just said, this is not what I'm here to do. Courage woman. You had a lot of courage. To <laughs> say, courage leaving. and humility because, and this is a perfect way to say how yoga was so helpful to me. Our bodies and our minds are really connected. And so even though I was trying to cheer myself on and say, mm-hmm. This is something you chose and you must stick with it. And what else are you going to do? My body and my mental health were rebelling mm-hmm. and I've, I was depressed. It was a, a moment mm-hmm. where I had to pause and I had to reevaluate because it wasn't working, even though I was trying to force it to do so. Mm-hmm. So I would encourage anybody who is feeling that they're not exactly aligned with what they know to be true for them. And if you are having some kind of physical inkling, it's funny how things show up in the body when Mm -hmm. we do change. I would just say, consider what we're talking about here today. Because you didn't just practice yoga, you now teach yoga. And as I said at the beginning, for all bodies, and I love that you said it's not just an athletic, I'm going to use the word pursuit, that's not what you said. But I was doing a little 20-minute yoga this morning because I... That's my goal every morning, 20 minutes before I start my day. And I, it's lovely. And that's and when I was scrolling through, because, you know, you see a little picture because it's all online. I'm not going to a class just now. And male, guy after guy after guy, one was in crow pose with their elbows out and their feet off the floor. And somebody else was, you know, and so many of these posts. So I just kept scrolling and I, you know, I did finally find a couple of classes, I thought, because I like you, like you, I like to be challenged. Because I'm past the point where I just need basic, I understand yoga, I've been doing it for years, somewhere between headstands and warrior and triangle, which I love, (laughs) that's where I found my happy place for yoga. So tell us about how is yoga applicable for any aging body? My favorite yoga teacher said to me, because I, I love to study, I love to continue. There's always something new to learn, no matter what. And if you become complacent, that's not good. 
So I do pride myself on being a lifelong learner. And so one of the most beautiful, simple statements about yoga that has been presented to me in all the years that I've been practicing and training was this. Yoga is one long breathing practice. Mm-hmm. It's not about your headstand. It's not about crow pose. Circling back to what I said before, when I drifted out of that gentle practice with my mom to go do something more athletic because I was focusing on the what can my body do. But at that time, it was appropriate for me because I was struggling. And so I felt like a lot of my life was out of control. So what were the things I could control? Well, I was going to try to work on getting a headstand or a handstand and do those things because I could get my body to do these things. But with time and patience and being drawn to a more mature population, wise women, I call them, it just became very apparent to me that yoga is so much more. It's a gift. It is a practice where you can do it really anywhere and benefit from it. And you can adapt it based not only on your body, but also on the stage. You can base it on what's happening with your body in, in, in a given moment. I taught at a cancer center for a long time. I've taught in community centers, community centers where mature women normally come. That's where I wanted to go. And sometimes when I was teaching those classes in the pool or in the chair or on the mat, I would have people who would come in because they had freshly had a knee replacement Mm -hmm. or hip replacement, or they were preparing for a knee replacement or hip replacement. That person can't do a standard yoga class, but why should she miss out on one long breathing practice and not be able to practice in a friendly environment, in a friendly medium like the water, which is supportive Mm. or in a chair? Yeah, that's the answer I feel comfortable with at this point, which is that the physical is a method to get you connected with your breath and get your mind prepared for meditation. Hmm. It's not Cirque du Soleil. (laughs) God, I love those shows. (laughs) I do too, but it's a very different medium. (laughs) Uh, Yes. And thankfully we're not being asked to do all that. I have an aerial yoga swing or hammock, whatever you want to call it down in my gym in the basement which is another way of being supported to get stretches or do inversions and things. But I still like the mat. And I had a favorite yoga teacher where I used to live in Hamptons. And she was the first person who gave me this concept of take your practice when you leave, take it off the mat. And I thought, what does that mean? Mm -hmm. Well, in yoga, we are connected to our breath. I think we are trying to find something in us to bring to the world, something nice Mm -hmm. in us. Like, what's my intention? My intention today is to bring love everywhere I go. Like that kind of thing is possible when we leave. So yoga, as that person told you, is not just in the room. And I find when I'm allow myself to sink into the practice, I'm not watching the clock. And those are distractions that I have to work on. Mm -hmm. Do I have, you know, like 20 minutes, that seems like nothing. But when I'm doing it, I really focus on being there in the moment and 20 minutes or half an hour. Sometimes I won't. It goes like so fast. And I find that that's almost a meditation. Just being present is a bit of a meditation. Do you agree? 
I completely agree. And so I would ask you, how do you find yourself? What have been some of the magical moments where you found yourself using yoga in a surprising way off of the mat? One of the things that I know to do is to set an intention for my day. And it's reinforced usually with a yoga teacher will say, what is your intention for this practice or for the day? So I might be, for instance, today, planting lots and lots of things because that's what I do at this time of year. And it's quite hot. And some of the plants got scalded. I found myself getting a little irritated because now what? You know, what are they going to look like in two weeks? And I just thought my intention for the day was to bring peace wherever I went. First for me. And then I thought, this isn't peaceful. My mind is not peaceful. So that is surprising that it can be that powerful. Mm-hmm. And sometimes if I have to bend down and pick something up, I actually do a yoga, but like I, I put my leg way up over my head because it feels good to have some of those movements throughout mm-hmm. the day, not just on the mat. That's lovely. I have to ask if you could describe. So let's just say we have a new person listening, a, a new to yoga. Somebody's listening. There are so many names Hatha, flow, Ashtanga, this and that. Can you explain the difference if it's important or if not, maybe just explain what would be a class to get started with, a type of yoga to get started with? Something that you would understand, something that's friendly. So a lot of yoga studios will have a beginner yoga class. Mm. So what, or they'll call it a, the basics, yoga basics, something like that. Or they'll call it gentle yoga. Hatha yoga is also, it's a form of yoga as well, where they focus on a lot of alignment. It tends to be a gentler class for beginner level students as well. And just ask, Mm. you know, ask. And Mm. because it's going to be very important to find the correct class so you're not turned off right away. And also meet the teacher. Mm. You know, see if you have some rapport, because that's a person who you'll need to trust to be in that class. So it's very important to find the right teacher for you. That is such a good point because when I just checked off in my mind, when I have not had the right teacher for me, I stay in the class because I came to take class and I want to experience somebody new, but then I can say, okay, that's not for me next time. You know, because I try to get what I came for and receive from the person who's teaching. And sometimes there's just not chemistry. That's okay. That's fair. Yeah. And Restorative yoga, in my mind for the longest time, because I was back there with you, I wanted to be challenged. I wanted my body to do these things. Now that I'm getting a little older, I respect that that may not happen the way I see it anymore. It always sounded like wimpy yoga. Mm. And now I realize how delicious it Mm. is. Can you Mm. tell us a little bit about what a restorative class is? So restorative class is not about moving from position or pose to pose. It's more about receiving support. So there'll be a lot of blankets and pillows and bolsters and using your yoga straps so that you can melt and relax into a position like a child's pose or reclined poses so that you can learn how to relax. And I know that sounds simplistic and obvious and ridiculous and maybe even boring, but a lot of people don't know how to relax. Oh yeah. Raising my hand here. (laughs) This took me a long time. I had a friend who said, you don't know how to slow down. You don't know how to relax. And I would get mad. I'd say, of course I'm relaxed. But my physical, the way I came into the world is I'm a fidgeter. 
I like to get up and do things. But by the same token, real relaxation is restorative, hence the name of the class. And I found how important that is, especially as I age, to replenish that energy. And holding a pose that is relaxing sounds easy. But it's not because our muscles, we are so go, go, go all the time. It takes a few minutes for the muscle or the joint to actually just let go. It feels so good. You used the word melt before. Oh, mm-hmm. That is exactly what it feels like. And, you know, I will say that to your point, yes, it is very difficult to relax into a pose and it takes time. And what, as yoga teachers drives a lot of us crazy is when people skip relaxation at the end, Mm. which is lying down in in corpse pose on your back with some support if you need it. I've found over the years, people will get up and leave and go, okay, well, I've done all the physical stuff. We've stretched, I'm done. And they walk out on Mm -hmm. the most best part of the class, the most important part of the class, which is the relaxation followed by some meditation. Now, if people don't follow the meditation piece, you know, we're not going to make any classes wrong is what I'm saying. If you go to a class, you have Shavasana, there's no meditation after. That's fine. That's Mm -hmm. personal. We can do it on our own in our own way. Yeah. I usually get in the car when I I haven't been to a class in a long time because of COVID, but I always felt like I wasn't ready to re-enter the world right after. Mm -hmm. So I just sit in the car, close my eyes and sort of, Mm -hmm. that was my meditation, like coming back into the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And Chair yoga. I don't know much about chair yoga because I've never taken a class. Tell us a little bit about that. So we're using the chair basically to aid us so that we're not on the floor. So it's an an elevated floor practice is how I like to think of it, where you are supported. There are so many great qualities about chair yoga. So what I like to do, and this is the pathologist in me, is to investigate, pay attention to the students who are in my class, and to offer modifications. Mm-hmm. So a warrior two doesn't, it's not a stagnant thing. It doesn't have to look one way. Even if you were to peek into a class with lithe, skinny bodies, you would see that the warrior two is, it looks slightly different mm-hmm. in everybody, mm-hmm. no matter what. So that's not judgment. That's accepting what your body can do. It's not about making the pose or making your body force itself into a pose. It's about accommodating the pose so that it works for your body. So in a chair, we can dissect a warrior two and do different aspects, break it down into what are the arms doing? What is the torso doing? Is it a rotation? How do we lengthen the spine? What are the hips doing? Could we recreate what the hips are doing? in the chair, modify that a bit. So chair yoga is basically done sitting in the chair, although I also like to challenge my students to get up and down because I'm a very practical person. And I look at the yoga practice, not just augmenting that physical and mental and spiritual and emotional and uh, health as well. I also look at it as it's a way to help me to live a better life. So we need to be able to get up and down out of chairs. Mm -hmm. We need to be able to squat to get things. If you have a 
cabinet that's low or a drawer that's low in your house? How do you get to things without hurting yourself that way? So moving the body in ways that help us accomplish reaching up for things on a high shelf, putting dishes away, carrying grocery bags from your car. So if you know how to strike a great mountain pose, then you can carry your groceries in from the car. So that's the MD and me weaving into the yoga. This is how this particular position that we've broken down can help you to accomplish this. So I make it really valuable and real life so that these things can be applied even further when you leave class. Mm -hmm. Um, Breathing techniques are done so that Let's say in the last year, we've been so stressed. And this is also a stage in life where it can be stressful, where we find ourselves between aging parents and adult children, we're caregiving. And so what are some of the tools we can use for self-regulation and for true relaxation and for mental clarity? Because all we can count on is change, right? Mm -hmm. Nothing stays the same. So how do we adapt and become comfortable with the uncomfortable? So these are a lot of the principles that I talk about in the yoga class. And so getting back to the chair, we do a lot of up and down. How do you sit down properly? How do you get up properly? What are the muscles you need to use as well? And then we do some standing poses with the chair to assist. Mm. So just because half moon or triangle is usually done on the floor or with the block doesn't mean that we can't elevate the floor and use the chair seat to assist us to get into a triangle pose where you're going to get this delicious Mm -hmm. stretch in your legs and your hips. And you're going to engage your core muscles and understand them better. Open up your thoracic spine for better breathing and better, better mobility up there and focus. Now I want to take a class. class. (laughs) One thing you just mentioned has me ask about flexibility. People that feel like they're not flexible enough to do yoga. Isn't it a matter of start where you are and chances are would give you more an improved flexibility range of motion? It's always been a, a misconception. Because why would you walk into a restaurant for the first time? This is your first day on the job as a sous chef and go, well, because I can't make this five course meal, I can't work here. Mm. You acquire the skill because you practice. Yoga is a practice. It's not, there's no destination. You're not acquiring anything. You don't have to do anything. You show up as you are. One of my favorite quotes is Arthur Ashe. Start where you are, use what you have, do what you can. Mm. Always. So even if I were to attend a yoga class today and my triangle pose was fantastic and it worked and my body did what I wanted to do. See, I got a bad night's sleep the next time and I go to class and I'm having trouble with my balance because I didn't sleep well. <laughs> and so the triangle pose is not going to happen the way it did that other time. So I start where I am. I do what I can in that moment. Mm-hmm. And I adapt. Yeah. Start where you are means if you feel like you would like more flexibility and yoga seems out of reach, 
but it's really gentle if you choose well. It might be the perfect bridge to more flexibility. So don't fear going to yoga, not being able to do the poses because you're not flexible. You will follow the yes. story. Eventually yes. get more flexibility. And I find that when you're talking about carrying things and lifting and squatting, if I haven't done yoga in a while and I'm just doing my routine, which at this time is lifting pots and, you know, digging. So I'm all rounded. Mm-hmm. Then I suffer. I get out of bed and I'm like one of those people that grabs their back and it's kind of takes me a while. So I feel that if people can get a little into it and listen or feel for the differences in their body, they might actually really love it and want it more and more. And again, it doesn't have to be an hour or two hours a day. It's nice when you have, I love taking a longer class because I really get into it. My body and my mind drop in more. But like I said, there are great teachers doing short classes. We, we do with what we can with what we have, right? Also reminds me of something uh, a, a student of mine said recently. She said that, so I teach our long classes during the week. And most of my students come to the one class during the week. But because we're breaking things down and showing applications in class for certain movements, or I'll say, even if you just practice standing in mountain pose against your wall, or you use a strap and a block to support that mountain pose, so you start to really feel like what it means to stand tall, then you're going to receive some benefits throughout the week. So it doesn't have to be, I have to remember the whole practice and then do that every day or every other day. You can break it down. And so one of my students said to me, it's like a glass of water. So we come in for your class once a week and we have that glass of water. And then before we see you the next time, we can take sips. Oh, I like that. Yeah, that's, so to a me, that's a lovely way to, to think about doing a yoga practice. You know, people think that it does have to be a, a whole hour or more every day. We don't have that kind of time necessarily. No, good on the people that do. And then <laughs> those of us who don't, except on certain days. I mean, there are times during the winter, especially where I, I make time on a Saturday or a Sunday to do sure. hours, shut myself out in, in a room and just, you know, go there and it's delicious. But um, tell me about how do you think yoga helps mentally if someone's in what well, you said you had people preparing for knee surgery, post-surgery, cancer, we have these aging problems and it tends to be, it can be hard on our psyche, our spirit. Do you find that yoga can help with those feelings of I'm getting older, nothing's working? I, yeah. Absolutely. Because you, in those moments where you're in class and you're confronted with a pose that's not working the way you want it to work, or your arm is not lifting as high as you'd like it to lift, it's a moment for you to sit with the discomfort of what does it mean to listen to your narrative? What is the story you're telling yourself in that moment? Because chances are, we are creatures of habit. And so we do have these things that we tell ourselves mm -hmm. constantly. We do have this internal soundtrack. We just usually don't, we're too busy running around to pay attention to it. Well, a yoga class allows you to stop and pause and listen to that voice that says, I should be able to do this. What's wrong with me? Or I am getting old and I don't like that. And so what do you do in that moment? 
What do you do when you sit with that thought? Can you challenge those narratives? Can you accept what's changing? Can you adapt? Can you become more mentally flexible? Can you show yourself some compassion? Mm. Can you be gentle with yourself? Once in a class, there was a woman who had a shoulder injury and we were doing arm circles and lifting our arms straight up as if we're touching the ceiling. So arm raises. And I noticed she was grimacing in pain and trying to wrench the arm that was injured up as well. So I walked over to her gently because I didn't want to single anyone out. I never want to do that. And I just leaned over and whispered, you don't have to lift that arm that high. You don't need to even use that arm at all in this particular pose. This is not about pain. The way I teach my students is it's no strain, no gain, not no pain, no gain. No pain, no gain is nonsense. And so it was a moment where I said, okay, so you don't have to do that. And I said to her, I'd like you to think about what just happened over the next week and ask yourself, why were you trying to push your body into a pose it didn't want to accomplish? What's behind that? Dig a little deeper and catch yourself during the week. If you're doing something, if you're pushing yourself to an extreme, Stop in the moment and ask yourself why you're doing that. So you're taking what you said before, what you're doing on the mat, in the chair, in the water, that self-analysis, that self-inquiry, then you can take that out into your daily life and say, for instance, why am I harming myself with this particular relationship that's not working? Mm-hmm. Why do I tell myself I have to push myself all the time? Mm-hmm. Why can't I be nice to myself? Yeah, good question. Yeah, last week I interviewed somebody and we talked about, are you your own best friend or worst enemy? Mm. Same kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And in many cases, it's a habit. But as we get older, I like what you said about if you're in a pose or you're trying to do a pose, or maybe you're just trying to take a walk and it's not working, mm-hmm. and you want to push your body. That's kind of being mean. It's mm-hmm. like negative self-talk because there is the negative self-talk behind the I can't do this. Then there's, as you said, why can't you do it? You used to be able to do it. You should be able to do it. Try harder. That's mean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and not to mention it usually hurts, but we end up with a greater injury, a potential for better or worse injury than if we just said, I can't take this walk today. My knee hurts. Okay, great. What else can I do? Maybe I could just let myself off. You know, it's that simple. Now, of course, I don't want to make a habit of that for people every day to say like, yeah, let yourself off all the time. However, and I want you to comment on this. If somebody doesn't feel like they can do anything because they're in pain, is there a way through that? Sometimes you need rest. Yeah. Or sometimes you can, what can you do? Breathe. Mm. You can sit and work on a, a breathing practice. Just isolate that part of the practice. Mm-hmm. Get a timer. Listen to one of my favorite ways as of late, because I've been discovering what works for me for meditation and what doesn't necessarily work. And so 
I'll give you good examples. Oh, I'm a competitive person, <laughs> type A. And rather than fight with my personality, it's like, okay, so I accept that. So, and I also know how to be careful. I know where I can apply that and mm-hmm. where it gets me into trouble. So I was using an app for a long time for meditation. I, I had over a 300-day streak and it felt great. But you know what? I broke the streak and then I didn't want to go back. Instead of going, you're such a loser, you're a failure, look what you did again. Oh my God, I can't believe it. Why didn't you keep it up? You're stronger than that. I said, okay, why don't I want to go back to the app? Because it's feeding into competition and achievement. And I don't want my meditation to be about a trophy or being able to tell people, look what I can do. Who cares? So I've been experimenting with what works for me. And I have a clock in one of my rooms that's, you can hear the seconds ticking. I like sound. Mm -hmm. So I bring that clock into the room and I count up to five minutes. I count the seconds through the five minutes. And if my mind can stay focused on that thing and I'm sitting still for that five minutes and I'm not just listening to someone guiding me through for 10, 15 minutes, and then I can look and get a a gold star afterwards. I feel like that five minutes is a ton more quality than what I was doing because Mm -hmm. my intention wasn't, I won't say it wasn't good at the time. I did want to achieve some consistency, but it it was about achievement, achieving, achieving. Now I don't want it to be about that. I I want it to be more meaningful and Mm -hmm. I want it to serve me so Mm -hmm. that I can just be gentler with myself and show myself more compassion. Again, there's that whole idea of, and we know, and you certainly as a doctor will uh, know this, that the negative self-talk creates a certain type of stress in the body. And now we know that stress leads to inflammation. Inflammation gives us pain and or disease. Mm -hmm. And it is one or the easiest, it is easier to be mindful every time you start to say something mean, to, like if you set an intention, if I hear myself mean talking, I'm going to change. I'm going to look out the window, do something else to break that habit. I think that's easier. We can't change our whole environment. Maybe the neighborhood's noisy. That's going to be there. Create stress. Oh, well, but we can change how we talk to ourselves and what we force ourselves to do when the body doesn't want to do it. And you don't a byproduct of that showing yourself compassion is then you want to show the others around you more compassion as well. So it, it starts to translate into empathy. It's translated into, we know this, if you have a partner, you get into these patterns and you have the same arguments or this, the same squabbles. But as of late, I've noticed that I'm pausing when I'm talking to my husband in moments of difficulty, when neither one of us is feeling that great, especially after the year that we've had being in the house, I had this little moment. It was a realization, but it was that pause mm-hmm. from meditation where I was able to go, I'm not communicating. He's not receiving what I'm trying to say. So maybe I need to change how I'm saying it or, and, or, what he's saying, I'm not understanding it the way he's intending me. So I asked him, I stopped myself instead of another quick negative, like, I know better than you, or this is the way I feel. It was a moment to ask him a question. What do you mean by that? 
I don't understand totally what you mean by that. This is the way I'm receiving it. Is that how you're intending for me to receive that mm. statement? That was new. We've been <laughs> married for almost 25 years. That was really new. Lockdown had some benefits after mm. all. Mm, she says. Yes. <laughs> okay. To wrap this up, what would you leave? And I, I want to also remind our listeners who are in an over 50 kind of situation that we started this conversation. Nadine started by saying she was drawn to us, to this population mm -hmm. of women. And she is one of us as well. What would you give us 50, 60, 70 year old and hopefully longer women as yoga, what yoga could be for them or? Yoga is an opportunity to evolve mm. with the changes in your, the inevitable changes in your life, in your body, in your circumstances. I think yoga is magic. I love that. And I believe you. Look, you've changed your whole life because of yoga or for yoga or your yoga for you. I think it probably was a little bit of everything there. I think so too. <laughs> I didn't think so. I didn't see it at the time, but it oh, has really, really transformed. I, I just think it's a beautiful practice. It's practical. It is uh, malleable for everybody, every situation. And it's always there. Once you learn three poses, if you can't get to a class or there isn't something online or you don't want to go, you can just do those three poses. Mm -hmm. I sometimes just do downward dog, downward facing dog, because I want to stretch and that feels really good to me. Mm -hmm. Or I sit in child's pose if I need my back after I've been lugging plants. You know, they're just easy to pop into your day. And uh, it's a really, I, I agree, it's magic. It's a valuable thing to have in our lives. Nadine, thank you very, very much. I love all the information you shared with us and again, your story. It's, I love it. Thank you for having me. I had a lovely conversation. That's the end of another episode of the Rebellious Wellness Over 50 podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it. If there's anything that you heard or hear when you tune in that you think would benefit a friend, a sister, a mother, hey, even some guys, send them my way, would you? And if you've not ever been to the website, rebelliouswellnessover50.com, head on over there. There are resources, things that I don't always get to on the podcast that might help you age better. Be well till next time and stay that way.